the individuals I met in that on that floor in that particular corridor are some of the best friends I have today. Like literally, they were they were best men at my weddings. They're god godparents to my children. Um, they're my financial planners. Like it, it, we are very very close friends, and we still we we travel together each year, every year. Um, so it was you know that you know that that stable of friends that I had met my freshman year. Uh, we are still very very close. Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School of Business here at Miami University. Today I'm joined by Brandon Starkoff, who graduated from Miami back in 1999 with a degree in marketing. So welcome, Brandon. It's great to be here, Jenny. Thank you for having me. So good to meet you. And I know that from your LinkedIn profile that you're currently CEO of Transparent Partners, which I believe is a marketing technology and data consulting company. And I think I'm right in saying based in Greater Chicago. Yes, the company is based in Chicago. That's correct. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. So I've got to start with the most important set of questions first. Why did you choose Miami? Oh, well, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, the high school I went to had a, a very high proportion of students that went to Miami. And so I actually, you know, I looked inside into myself and the rest of the school. And I was like, I don't want to go there because everyone I went to high school with is already there. I want to be with a different group of people. Uh, so I explored a bunch of schools, including Miami. And I was actually coming in attending to play uh, soccer as well, uh, coming off of my, my high school career. So um, it ended up my, my dad took me down, drove me down there. And I, I remember honestly just pulling into the university um, and just falling in love immediately just with the landscape, uh, to be honest. And, you know, met with the coaches. I actually was fortunate enough to have a friend uh, that I went to high school with that was a year older than me that was there. So I was able to get the full experience with him, joining some classes, you know, seeing what the social experience is like. And uh, it really, it really helped. Uh, but immediately just fell in love with the campus and the place. And it just, it felt right for me. So it was in the obvious the obvious choice to go to Miami. So the decision became easy and it is a beautiful campus. It really is. And so tell me, did you play soccer for four years? So I, I did play first, first call. I got to school early. I played for the first couple of weeks with a coach. Um, and uh, it was, I was a goalkeeper and I was coming in pre-med. And so going through the training and knowing that I would have to spend an awful lot of time studying and a dedication to training and wanting to have some of a college experience um, it, it just, I came to the choice uh, and the reality that it made more sense for me to focus on studying. And then I actually went and played club, club soccer instead, which was great because I got to do it both without having the, the true dedicated commitment. And, and by that point, I played soccer my entire life. So I wasn't sure if that was really where I wanted to. Do you, to still, play, do you still play soccer now? I do. And I do it with my kids, you know, as well. So I've been uh, playing with them and coaching with them. You know, I play every now and then, but uh, I'm, I'm more into triathlons, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I take it at a whole nother level. I, I had two kids who were competitive swimmer, swimmers. So I get the balance yeah. between uh, sport and school and, and school. A lot of time. It's yeah, a lot of time. Tough. So you, you, you took marketing. So what led you to marketing? Did you know you wanted to do marketing or tell me about that, that progression? So it was interesting, as I said, I came in pre-med. I mean, I was, I had lots of experience in high school. I focused my courses on getting more biology, chemistry, uh, et cetera. And, and actually it's best a lot of time with emergency room physicians in emergency rooms, just getting experience. And all of them actually told me through that experience that, you know, this is really a business. Medicine is really a business. So 
just think about that as you as you go into this. I went into pre-med, I learned a lot, but I also saw, I'm a big advocate of technology. I saw what was happening in the late 90s, right? With the emergence of, you know, the internet and capabilities there. So I actually, um, I saw that as an opportunity to die, to take a step back. I said, I can always come back into medicine if I want to, but let me take a step back and understand what's happening here. So I focused in on marketing and I had a minor in information systems. So the very early stages of that. And, and it, it really, the, the combination of those two courses couldn't have been more timely, right? Given the, um, the growth in internet-based companies and how technology was really transforming business in the very early stages back in the late 90s and early 2000s. So that's really where I, I decided to invest my time. And then I went into the Luxembourg program which allowed me to get a really great global perspective, which I can't tell you how important that became for me in business later on. But that's uh, that's really sort of where I landed in marketing. And I, I stayed that course on that because I found it fascinating. Is there ever a time you regretted not sticking with medicine? Is I'm sorry, is there a timing that what? That you regretted not sticking with medicine, that, that you wish you'd stayed with medicine? Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've always had a little bit of this, yeah, a little bit of regret. Like I, I, I still am passionate about healthcare. It's very fascinating now though, um, being a transparent, you know, I've actually been able to work closely with hospital systems and health insurance companies to help them do a better job of taking care of their patients and their customers through data and technology. So while I'm not solving medical problems and nor, nor, nor would I pretend to be a physician, but I love the idea of even helping patients along, you know, complicated journeys when someone's diagnosed with cancer or a severe illness, you know, for physicians and the hospital system to better manage that patient to that care is what we help them do. I love it. Being able to bring them both to you, that's great. So talk to me a bit more about your career. And I know you're in Transparent now. It's a company that you, you, you see on partner and founders. So tell, talk, you know, take us through a trip down memory lane in terms of the different jobs you had that led you to do to what you're currently doing now. Absolutely. So I was recruited out of Miami to a, a, a company called Starcom and Starcom uh, is a one of the largest uh, global media buying uh, and planning companies. So working with big clients and customer uh, clients to help them plan and purchase media to communicate with their customers to sell products. And so I was recruited out of school to to work for them. And uh, my first account was was Walt Disney World and launching Disney Cruise Line. So. You, get, you come out of school and you get exposure to these really big, well-known brands and the ability to market those brands to travelers, right? So I, I you know, got in the agency. I worked closely with the, the media teams, the creative teams. It was a holistic view on this. And it really helped me understand the way that sort of businesses work and how marketing works, the real functions, and applying a lot of the practices I learned at Miami. In addition to that, what we saw is I got involved in helping Disney think about how they actually acquire new customers for looking for vacations for cruise line vacations are just at their at their grounds right at Walt Disney World and in doing so it was a very laborious process like it involved you had to call a 1-800 number after you saw it on tv then you had to speak to an agent for an hour they checked off this list and then they sent you a folder with a VHS tape this is how old this is right then you use the VHS tape you watch the video at home and then you chose and you called them back and they you know completed the form and then they sent you all it's like there's a lot of back and forth and it cost them like four to five hundred dollars to capture that lead because it was a very laborious and a lot of assets involved 
And I said, because of my background in Miami, I was saying, look, why don't we have this internet thing? We can actually capture leads online and deliver all the videos and assets that way. So it's faster, it's cheaper. And we did just that. We sold it into their organization. And as a result, they, the lead came down to like $12 a lead. So you went from four to $500 lead to $12 a lead, which is a huge business benefit to Disney, who then obviously has made great progress as a company overall. But nonetheless, you know, it was taking that, that, that idea of leveraging technology and data to help clients get smarter. So I did the same thing. So I went from, I worked on Disney, I worked on Kellogg's, I worked on Kraft, and I helped them think about the importance of digital to engage their customers in new and meaningful and business um, in ways that it would help grow their business, right? And then from there, after you know, spending a lot of time leveraging that, I was actually brought into onboard the company's first global piece of business. There was no, at that point in time, there's no global infrastructure within inside of Starcom. So there are a small group of us, there were four of us, and we actually built in a global infrastructure for a, a big technology client that was based in Silicon Valley. And that led to much more work that came through the North new clients. So it started with Sun Microsystems as a global platform, and then it led to Oracle, BlackBerry, Samsung, Microsoft. These are all companies that we actually built out these capabilities for to support their marketing needs across the world. And I would run those businesses. So I did that for many years um, and you know, got up to uh, executive vice president within Starcom MediaVest Group, which was acquired by Publicis, which is a French holding company, French-based holding company. And then from there, I, you know, I started to reorganize the company and and think about these consulting practices and organize my teams around my particular practice happened to be the uh, highest um, level of growth, highest margin and uh, lowest or the, the highest retention rate, I should say. And so the company looked at that and said, well, what you're doing is very interesting. We should organize ourselves around this. And so we went through this whole process of reorganizing, but I realized inside of an agency, it was hard to really get that level of impact. We wanted to have in those big companies. So, transparent, you know, this idea of transparent and the reality of what was going on with technology, the complexities that many companies were facing with all this the abundancy of data, the, the volume of technologies that were out there, being able to actually go and actually do this on my own and independent objective consultancy was sort of the perfect, um, the perfect role for me to take on. And so I've been running it for four years now. It's really good. And so related when you were talking about saving, going from four to $500 in acquisition cost down to you know, around 12, I think you said, did you charge based on how much money you were saving the client? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the other piece in an agency that is very difficult. I mean, there are, they, they did, it's funny how fees sort of get organized, but mostly when you're on the media side of the business or any side of the business in an agency, it's very difficult to create those type of performance-based things around revenue because it's that revenue comes in over time. And usually, you know, you're paying for media and you have to go to backlog. But unfortunately, no, we didn't. But they, you know, they kept the business for a very long time as a result of it. And the agency did. Yeah. They saw that and they continue to progress in different areas, like the movie studios as an example. They took on that business. So it allowed them to expand the business. So in a certain way, yes, but it wasn't, it wasn't Not quite. Yeah. Yeah. So before we, we dig back into Miami, we have one more question. So of course we're hopefully coming out of COVID. So, so what impacts have COVID had on your business? What, what, what is it? How has it changed what you're doing? It's, it, you know, it was fascinating. So when you, you run a, a relatively small business compared to a 6,000 person, you know, agency that wasn't before 
running this this business, I was very concerned about what the impact could be then when it started to emerge. And the reality is we grew, we had we have very healthy growth goals and we grew beyond those goals. Right. And that's because what happened, COVID inspired like this data-driven generation. Like it just it accelerated the utilization of tools that people are now using, you know, for delivery and using their mobile phones to get access to things. So it's less about going into the store, more about e-commerce. And as a result, these companies were being overwhelmed with an abundance of data and realized that they didn't have the technology to proper or the operations to properly manage it. And so they would call us and say, we need your help immediately. So we would help set them with the foundational needs around data uh, and infrastructure and operations to help support their companies because there are so many blind spots in that space. Even the most sophisticated companies that we've worked with that are less than 15 years old, 15 years old that people are, are, are very knowledgeable of, they miss the realities of what's going on in, the, in this space. And the, there's lots of blind spots. So it's a lot of, the quote that came up is you don't know what you don't know. And we heard that a lot. And so we would help supply that, that knowledge and that insight to help them create value from the abundance of data they have um, to understand who their customers are, how they can communicate with them and how they can actually create value on an ongoing basis across any aspect of that customer would come into contact with that company. And I think a really important part of what you just said in that answer is the fact that, that a lot of things just got accelerated so fast yep. over the last 12 months. Things like I was reading somewhere, I think it was a McKinsey report about cloud-based technology, for example. And that's just one of many examples. Even looking at what we do in higher education, we move the needle very, yes. very quickly around modality. Right, speaking of which, we're going to take you back to Miami. I've got some quick fire questions for you. So when you look back at your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor and why? Dr. Rosenthal was my favorite professor in marketing. Very good. He was, he was, he was so, um, he was so focused on, you know, making sure you had, you had the knowledge, you had the information and, and you could think about how to solve a problem. I mean, that's really what marketing is about is how do you solve a problem? How do you make strategic decisions? How do you, and it's part of strategy is knowing just as much as what you want to do is what, is what you don't want to do. And I really appreciate everything I learned from him. He was, well, he was, he was, he was, very direct and very assertive, but in a way that was very meaningful and productive for me in particular as a, as a student of his. Very good. So not picking on a professor now, but I'm picking on a subject. So what subject did you least enjoy? Ah, uh, you know, that's a good one. Um, I, <laughs> it's going to sound weird, but like just English. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, it was like I had read, I had written stuff, but I just, it was not, I was not that enamored with English classes, which sounds insane. And I, I write a lot now. I have to read a ton for my job, but for some reason, it was just not that exciting. For it me. just didn't do it for you. So, <laughs> so you, what about co-curricular activities? What were you involved in? In, uh, you said, what, what activities? What was it? Co-curricular. Oh yeah. So, oh gosh. Um, can I think about this? So what would you articulate as an example of that? Uh, clubs, societies. Yeah, so I was, so I was, I mean, I, I took part in the, there was a, the, the marketing society at that point. I'm trying to remember what it was called, but I was part of the marketing club, mm -hmm. which I really liked. Um, and then I was, I was also actually involved with the uh, fraternity council at that point that sort of oversaw the things that were going on. And it's actually, uh, I led the committee on the Greek week committee. So I led that initiative. Uh, which was great. I got exposed to a lot of people um, and put in place a lot of activities that, you know, we were trying to get people to socialize, have fun, but also learn through the process as well. 
That's very good. So what was your favorite time of the day for class? I actually really like morning classes. I'm a morning person. I always have been. Um, so I, I, I really did enjoy like the early morning classes and I, you know, my early years, it was a lot of chemistry early in the morning. Um, and then it moved on to some business and finance classes in the morning. So just, just, to, just for clarification, is the student early eight o'clock in the morning? So you're an eight o'clock class person or later? So you for, early eight, like the first, yeah, the first yeah. classes that you get. Because sometimes like, early, early doesn't mean eight for students. No, but I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I've always been like, even now in my life, mm. I'm, I'm up very early in the morning. Mm. I like to just be awake and catch up on information and things before I really dive into my yeah. true work day. You, you and me both. I'm an early riser. What was yeah. your favorite night of the week while at Miami? Um, so uh, Thursdays were always kind of fun. Right. It was like, you know, you were coming sort of the end of the week and they were kind of fun. There were a couple of Mondays. There's a whole lot of backstories there weren't as a Miami. There are a whole lot of Mondays, though, that where, you know, you could go out with a small group of friends and, you know, it, the, the bars and restaurants wouldn't be crowded. And it was really nice to like enjoy, like sit there and enjoy and have a good time without having a gazillion people around you. So I, there were a couple of good Monday nights in there as well. I enjoyed. I like that. So did you intern at all while you're at Miami? Um, I did. So I, um, I interned with, um, it, it was a summer between my junior and senior year that I interned with a small, an ad agency in, um, in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I grew up. And, um, and that helped, right. Just having that experience helped, uh, help me just understand the, the fundamentals, the, how relationships occur inside of the agency, how you the client relationships work, what the type of work that needs to be done. So yes, I did. I did um, have an internship. Good. So where did you live in your freshman year? Where did I live? Mm. I lived in Emerson Hall my freshman year. Do you remember and the, will, the room number? Two forty-four. There you go. It's pretty good. I don't know if that's right, but sounds good. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's it. And I will tell you this: this is honest God truth. The 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 individuals I met in that on that floor in that particular corridor are some of the best friends I have today. Like literally they were, they were best men at my weddings. They're God, godparents to my children. Um, they're my financial planners. Like it, it, we are very, very close friends and we still, we, we travel together each year, every year. Um, so it was, you know, that, you know, that, that stable of friends that I had met my freshman year, uh, we are still very, very close. Where, where did you live off campus? So my sophomore and Junior year, uh, I lived in the Phi Kappa Psi fraternity house, and then uh, then I lived in the apartments on Walnut Street that were just at that point in time just behind Stadium, which I don't believe is there anymore. Um, but yeah, so a couple of two of us lived in an apartment uh, building there. Do you ever come back to Oxford? And if you do, do you ever drive past and have a little look? Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know we're we're planning a trip because my kids are just turned eleven. You know we want to take because my wife also went to Miami too, so we're a Miami merger. Um, but uh, we're gonna we plan to take our kids there um, in probably the next few weeks, um, either just before or right after graduation, which just before would kind of have to be this weekend because <laughs> I know it's coming up soon, or right after because it's we would love to have, you know just go back ourselves and see it. I went back for recruiting a few times many years ago. But I haven't been back in probably seven or eight years. Yeah, that's beautiful. So what's your favorite spot uh, in Uptown? Um, well, my favorite spot was always Stadium, but it's not there anymore, right? So, but it used to be a, um, 
he used to be a very close friend of mine. We were, we were big fans of, and this is going to sound weird, but we were a big fan of milkshakes. So we would always go to UDF <laughs> every, yeah, every couple there. weeks. Yeah, that's still there. And we would like hang out like on a, uh, you know, one of the warm days in the summer or, or, or in the spring or the fall and just, you know, hang out, grab a milkshake in UDF and that was it. But yeah, it was, it was a very different place back then than it is now. So aside from UDF, where was your, what was your favorite place to eat? Um, oh, I'm going to forget the name. It was like the really, the really nice uh, restaurant that was uptown there. It was, um, it was on the higher end side. I don't even know if there, uh, I'm going to say Oh, actually, you know what? It was, it was, um, it was Max, Max, what's it oh, called? Mac and Joe's. Yeah, Mac and Joe's. Thank oh, you. Yeah. I can't remember in my head, but yeah, Mac and Joe's was great. Yeah. They had a really great grilled chicken salad. That was one of the favorite, my favorite. Yeah, it's uh, one of our favorite places as well. We like Mac and yeah. Joe's. So what's one of your most memorable personal experiences when you, from being a student? Um, you know, I, I, Oddly enough, the, one of the most memorable things is um, our, we had a core team of, of people, friends of mine, the ones I met, where we played ultimate Frisbee, right? And as a, as a social thing. And I remember like we were in a championship game and it was, it was a tough game. And, and we just, we really, um, we really had an amazing time there. We, we ended up winning. It was just, it was such a great experience. Like one of those things there that I really, I, I really remember quite a bit. Yeah. That's very cool. So if you look back on any part of your time at Miami, what, if anything, would you do differently? I don't think I would do anything differently there. I mean, I, I was, I, you know, the thing I did mention is I, I worked for the basketball team as, you know, on the marketing side. And that was when, you know, the, the team went to the, you know, the finals and NCAAs with Wally Zerbiak there. Um, I, I, and I worked for the football team. I mean, I got, I, I took advantage of everything I could within the capacity that I had, I don't think I would change a thing that I did there. That's great. Is there a class that you wish you'd taken? Um, I probably, if, going back and looking at, I would probably take an entrepreneurship, I would take an entrepreneurship class, which they did just start to have when I was there. Um, I know it's advanced pretty, pretty quickly, but that's one I, I would have loved to have taken. Yeah. We have a great program. We have more than 3,000 students actually take an entrepreneurship course. It's, it's pretty I know, good. I know. It's incredible to see really the progress. That, yeah, the, they do great work. So now back to work. So, so marketing is a field that has been disrupted a lot by technology. I was smiling when you talked about VHS tapes and thinking back to my days in brand management when we thought VHS tapes were going to destroy branding and, and advertising. So, so how do you keep up with the challenges? And I say that because... You know, friends of mine who are in practicing marketing will say things like, if you go away for vac on vacation for two weeks, sometimes there's been so much change even in that short period of time with respect to how to use different platforms or new technologies come. So how do you keep up with, with these changes? And especially think of it in terms of advising some of our students who will be listening to this podcast, how to stay current. Yeah, so it's 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 a great question. And, um, you know, there, there's a couple of things you have to do is one, you have to find different levels of information then and you know make sure you're constantly listening to them so i have like a small group of podcasts where i know there's going to be very specific information about the constant evolution issues and evolutions and topics that are most relevant in the marketing technology space so there are podcasts i sign on to and i listen to uh they're usually weekly so i listen on a weekly basis right 
I also associate myself with a network of individuals that are leaders in the space that are my mentors. They've been previous bosses or mentors or very closely that I stay highly connected with, which I speak to again every other week or on a quarterly basis. And I keep in touch with what they produce on their own websites or on their own feeds through social channels like LinkedIn. And the other piece, frankly, is I just, I surround myself, you know, within my company, I, I am, I have specifically hired a diverse set of individuals that come from different backgrounds. They come from platform backgrounds. They come from client company backgrounds. They come from agency backgrounds. Um, and, and the ability for them to be able to, and for us collectively, but for them to feed information in and distill it is really important. There's, as you pointed out, there's a constant evolution of things. And if you don't know something, it's easy to find information, right? So, but the, there are foundational things that as a company, we're very fortunate because we're in the middle of this. We see the issues and hear the issues that are coming through. So I, we know what is topical and what's most important. But to your point, there are 10,000 different companies out there that build technologies for, uh, for marketers to use. And so it's our job to help them sift through that. And it really starts with understanding what they're trying to achieve as a company. That's a starting point, right? Versus getting caught up in acronyms, which are used to define different things in the marketplace. I mean, you use VHS, but now there's like, DMPs and CDPs and CRM. And it's just like, that's really great. But if you don't understand the capability, you know, you're not going to secure, you're not going to procure the right platform to advance your capability. So it's, it's a lot of just, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people, the right assets and understanding, uh, getting an understanding what's going on over time and doing just constantly doing the research. We're constantly doing that. I think you've got some really good advice. So when you, you talked a little bit about healthcare campaigns or clients, so what campaigns have you worked on that you're most proud of? Is it, uh, so is it we, easy to single out? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, so, I mean, in my, in my current role, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we work with Zillow. And so Zillow is a company that's been going through a tremendous amount of transformation from basically being a publishing based company that was generated most of its business from agents who wanted to pay, right. To just get exposure on their platform. So if you want to buy a house, you get connected to an agent, right. Um, as you were looking for home. Now they're going, Zillow's pivoted their business into a customer facing business, which is if I want to sell my home, buy a home, rent a home and get a mortgage, I can do that all in one place. And so we've been helping Zillow essentially um, get a better understanding of who, who those customers are, how to connect with them, where to reach them, and even thinking about what's most important to those customers. And they've produced and they actually just launched a new, a new campaign around this that really touches at your uh, so your emotional cord, right? Some are are very um, very funny. They're very silly, but they you really understand what's going on in the head of that buyer uh, or that seller uh, versus things that are about like just the the emotional experience you go through even as a child and the importance of getting into a home that you love, right? So this it's that aspect of using data as a way to inform those types of of, uh, of decisions in terms of creative become very important. So you mentioned silly. Why are insurance ads so silly? Why are what? Insurance ads in this country are really, really stupid. So well, why? I think they do it. Here's the interesting thing about that. They do it because they, everyone needs insurance. So it has to be it's a mass thing. And if you're going to do that, you have to differentiate yourself. Oddly enough, Geico, which their ads, like they don't have anything to do with insurance, but they've made it very clear what they're going to save you on insurance. And they actually use the gecko as a way to capture your attention, right? The gecko happens to be the number one brand icon among children, right? So it's got, has this like really interesting influence. So they, they do these crazy things that are sort of like, 
they don't give you all the details on the insurance. It's just like, you can save 15% and this gecko is gonna make you remember us. It's very, it's a very simple equation that's been around for years. And all the other companies are you know, bringing in all these other animals and goofy things just to capture attention. It seems like there's been a bit of a competition amongst insurance companies to come up with goofy ads, I think. Yeah, but, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah, the disruption is one way to get people's attention in a, in, right. a, in a you know environment where we're just constantly bombarded with noise. That's the truth. At least you to cut through the clutter. So, so um, on to some career advice for students who will be listening to this podcast. And I want to divide it into two parts. So part one, advice for incoming freshmen, those you know, coming straight into the pharma school, and part two, for people who are in the early stages of their career. So, so take each one separately and, and please offer you know, some good career advice to both. Thank you. Absolutely. So people that are coming in, they take, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that exist at Miami. You know, I, I wish I would have taken opportunity of more, I could have taken opportunity of more of them looking back on it. Um, but, and I, I think I did, I, I think I got a good, a good amount out of it, but I think there's probably more. So there's, there's so many things to explore and, you know, understand your passion. What are you really passionate about as a student coming in? Where do you really want to grow and, and learn? And even under, if you if you have the ability to understand weaknesses, which you will learn going through your college experience, but if, if you know that coming in, you know, try and find a way to, to learn more on that, that specific area, whether it's around finance or accounting or marketing or technology, whatever it might be. Um, so that would be for incoming students is just to take advantage, like meet as many people as possible, build those relationships, because those those are people that will, you will, you will, you'd be surprised how much they can add value in your life as you grow. I mean, I'm out 20 plus years at this point, And these are people that I trust my life with that I met my freshman year. Right. So that's one piece for the, the people coming in for the people uh, going out is uh, as you're, as you're leading the organization, like definitely reach out to the Miami network. There's this very unique relationship that not only I recognize, but people that don't even go to Miami recognize which is there's a very strong bond between Miami alum. And I, I like we actually brought on an intern from Miami last summer. And she then came back over the winter break to be to help us. And we hired her, right? We hired her back in February. She starts right after graduation. So there is a um, there's definitely a bond there. And, you know, you establish the network of people that are passionate in, in an industry that you're passionate about, like, that's that's one thing I would I would encourage the outgoing seniors to to think about. So we've got time for one more question. And it's about work life balance, and this is something our students are really intrigued by. And I think you know I'll ask this question in two parts. Number one, what does work life balance mean to you? And number two, how do you strike some kind of work life balance? So I, I would think about your career in sort of three ways, and it'll come back to adjusting to work life balance. Is one spend the first third of your career in investing and learning as much as you can, right? So that could be through work. It could be through a combination of work and experiences and reading and research or whatever, but like invest in learning as much as you can. The second part of your career should be really thinking about how you can actually manage people, right? You start to be able to put yourself in a position where you're managing other people, you're growing other people. And the third part is you're now taking those combined experiences and you're giving advice to big companies, either working inside. And so you think about it, if you think about it in that, in that way, you want to spend a lot of your time learning. And again, that could be through not just sitting at work, but like experiences you have outside of work to learn things that you're passionate about, taking classes, 
joining groups of people. Like we actually built, my friends and I from Miami, we built the Young Professionals of Chicago, which is a social networking group back in the early 2000s of people that had like no way to network in Chicago, right? There was no club. So we, and we brought in a bunch of CEOs to give perspective and it was great. Like do those things, raise your hand, find opportunities to do that um, is, is what I would say. But those are, that's, you know, in terms of managing work-life balance, it'll change over time. Like I now have a family and I, I run a company that's growing at a tremendous rate. I have a family and you have to find that time to manage it. And I don't, I don't work 90 hours a week, right? I'm very cognizant of my family, the importance of my family, making sure I set myself with goals and the ability to achieve those goals on a regular basis. The, the setting the goals is the most important thing that allows you to better manage your time and you know, leverage technology. And you'll learn how to, how to do it over time. But I'm able to run a triathlon, manage my family and run a company, right? And not hopefully not let anything fall through the cracks. But. Yeah, that's great. So thank you so much, Brendan, for the gift of time and to allow us to record this podcast. One defining characteristic of our alumni is just how engaged and willing they are to continue to find ways to support us. So thank you again. Go well as you continue in your journey beyond High Street. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.